think one of the best pieces of advice I got early on in my career is just do shows like the phones are down and no one's calling in or the internet is broken. And so you have to be creative and think outside of the box uh, and be engaging. And that's kind of what I've tried to do for 13 weeks. Now, I would not wish this on my worst enemy to have to do a four hour solo sports talk show without any sports. Large majority of this country has been introduced to uh, something that uh, I have known for the last two years and was just amplified in this third year is how great Ozark is, which it leads you wanting more. I also don't take myself real seriously. I, I do see myself as a journalist. I, I think some of the younger people that are in my business don't look at it that way. They look at themselves more as an entertainer. But I see myself as a journalist and an entertainer. So I'm a little bit of an old school sports talk host. With us now from Omaha, midday host at 1620 The Zone is Gary Sharp. And just to make sure you know what it is, it's the Gary Sharp Show. And uh, easy enough to remember every midday. And he's with us now. And we're going to chat a little bit about what he does. Hi, Gary. John, how are you? Thank you very much for having me on. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. Um, four hours of uh, radio by yourself uh, from 10 to 2 um, every day. And for weeks and weeks now, there has not been a single game to talk about, um, not an event to talk about. Uh, how have you managed to uh, get through this time and uh, keep it lively and fresh? Uh, I think personally, as a baseball fan, it's been tougher. As a radio host, it actually hasn't been that bad. Because um, I, I think in our business, and just in radio in general, you, you're an entertainer, you're, you inform people, you find a way to be engaged. A little bit more difficult when there's no live sports going on, but if we're doing our job, if I'm doing my job, I can do it without sports. I think one of the best pieces of advice I got early on in my career is, just do shows like the phones are down and no one's calling in or the internet is broken. And so you have to be creative and think outside of the box uh, and be engaging. And that's kind of what I've tried to do for 13 weeks. Now, I would not wish this on my worst enemy to have to do a four hour solo sports talk show without any sports, but believe it or not, there has been enough stuff that's been going on to carry us through 13 weeks. So I haven't had to go into the silly file of, hey, what's the best blank, blank, blank. So it's actually, it's, it's challenged me, but I'm really refreshed that I'm able to pull this off and keep people engaged. And I think on our go a little inside baseball here, the ratings for sports talk stations in this country in the spring book are not going to be good, but our early trends at 1620 with our great listening audience in Omaha, uh, we're well ahead of the curve of where most sports talk stations are going to be. It's nice for you to leave the silly file to the social media people and not have to uh, um, resort to that on the radio. Yeah, well, and it's too bad because that crate of fun, there are some great topics in there. That usually is summertime radio around here, but we basically had 13 weeks of summertime radio in Nebraska without Husker football, the College World Series, and other things going on. You know, some people may think you're joking, Gary, when you say the silly file, but you really do have to have, if it's not literally a file, you really do have to have topics that you, you, you go to occasionally just either to lighten the mood or to do something different or to get away from it, right? 
Yeah, I have a actually a notebook of about 150 different topics that if I ever need to go to it, I'm going to find it, I'm going to pull it out, and I'm going to grab some of those topics um, that are some silly, some are engaging, some make you think, but they're just topics that I've thought about that, hey, this would be a good show topic when there's nothing going on. I haven't had to use that book very often, but I would say probably after the last month or so, I've got 155 different topics that are in that book. Before we get on to uh, what you do and how you approach the show and what's going on in Omaha and some of the kinds of things that you like to talk about, is this what you always wanted to do? Yes. I know that's, that's an answer that a lot of people are like, ah, you know what? I kind of found my way into radio. I wanted to be in radio. I, was a, I played sports, but I wasn't the greatest. Um, instead of growing taller, I got wider. And so that kind of limited me. But I was a kid that early on, and I came from a sports family. My father is uh, now retired, but he was a longtime 30-plus year scout of the New York Mets. And so I was always around sports. I was always around sports figures, and especially baseball, which on the radio is the perfect sport. And living in Des Moines, I grew up in Des Moines, you had some 50,000-watt stations that carried baseball. And so that's kind of where I fell in love with radio because I was listening to games from St. Louis, games from Kansas City, games from Chicago, games from Minnesota. And as a young kid, I'd go in the backyard with my friends in the neighborhood and we would play wiffle ball or full-on baseball. I always had to be the pitcher because I wanted to do the play-by-play. And so I insisted that I do that. My friends after a while just hated it because while I was pitching, I was saying, sharp into the line and here comes the pitch. Um, but it's, it's, I love radio. I always wanted to be in it. And essentially, from the time that I uh, turned 19, I've been in radio. And so I'm, I'm, you know, before long, I'll be coming up on 30 years of being in radio. Uh, did you want to be a big league announcer? Did you want to go through all of that and be a major league baseball announcer? I, I wanted to. And then I realized how difficult that business is. Um, it's not necessarily how talented you are. It's right place, right time. Um, I've gotten the opportunity to do a lot of baseball, never uh, professional baseball uh, on a consistent basis. Um, but I, I wanted to be the voice of the Chicago Cubs. That's what I wanted to be. Um, I wanted to be doing 162 games. Uh, you know, my, my career took a different path. And in that sense, I've been able to do a plethora of different sports. But yeah, I wanted to, I wanted to be a play-by-play guy. I wanted to be a Major League Baseball play-by-play guy. Um, I wanted to be like Jack Buck or Vin Scully. Uh, even Harry Carey to some some sense, but uh, it didn't happen. But you know, I'm, I'm blessed enough that I've gotten to do at least baseball and some other sports. I take it you probably listen to a lot of baseball now. If you're a radio guy, who are a couple of guys in calling Major League Baseball games now that you say, wow, this is the top of the game? Well, I love Pat Hughes, who is the voice of the Cubs, and he is one of the best of the best. Um, the way he paints the picture, his enthusiasm, his control of the English language. Garcia Puig pinch hitting, and he will hit a ground ball towards short. Russell goes to Baez, one, over to first. The Cubs are going to the World Series. The Cubs win the pennant. You know, the, kind of the older guys that I gravitate towards, like a Vin Scully, you know, we miss, we miss the announcers that when it comes to baseball, they are in it for the game, and they paint the picture, and they captivate you. Um, I was very lucky enough to meet Herb Carneal, who has since passed. He was the longtime voice of the Minnesota Twins. Mm -hmm. He had this incredible voice and this incredible mastery of, 
of telling you what was going on in a game that you felt like you were either at the Met or you were at the Metrodome. Um, John Miller, who you're familiar with out in San Francisco. Everybody's standing here at 24, Willie Mays Plaza. An armada of nautical craft gathered in McCovey Cove beyond the right field wall. Bonds one home run away from history. And he swings! And there's a long one deep in the right center field. Way back there. It's gone! A home run! Into the center field bleachers to the left of the 421-foot marker. An extraordinary shot to the deepest part of the yard. And Barry Bonds with 756 home runs. He has hit more home runs than anyone who has ever played the game. He's somebody that I love listening to because baseball essentially on the radio is storytelling. You know, you've got a game going on, but you are telling a three-hour story. And those are the people that I really like. Uh, Corey Provis, who is currently the voice of the Minnesota Twins, um, I really, really enjoy him. And you know what? John Sterling with the New York Yankees. I enjoy him. He's a little old school announcer. <laughs> but, but at this point, anybody that's on the radio doing baseball, I'm listening to him. You know, one thing I also like, and you know, you, you hop in the car at night and you hit scan on your radio, you're not only getting big league games, you're getting minor league games, and you're getting small town games where the guy who works in a nine to five job, but at night does baseball for the local team, he's on the air. I'll listen to them. I, I, really, I really appreciate baseball announcers that can paint the picture, tell the story, and can captivate me, and also continue to tell me what the score in the inning is. You know, I think about this occasionally, Gary, and, and so much has changed in our business over 100 years, 20 years, 30 years, go back at any threshold you like. And uh, the delivery of our product has changed so much. Um, the nature of it in the 50s, it goes from um, talent shows to music because television took over the world and, and then cable impacted it. But maybe the one thing in radio that has remained as constant as anything is baseball announcing. The fact that, that the, the same kinds of things that, that uh, Red Barber was doing 70 years ago are being done now. Do you think so? I believe, absolutely. Um, it's essentially storytelling. It's the delivery of the game. It's painting the picture. Um, another great piece of advice I got when I started doing baseball games is just imagine that everybody that is tuning in, they can't see and you're their eyes. And so you have to paint that picture where in radio with baseball is you're telling stories, but you're also getting feels out of people and, and letting them get to know the players and the stadium and the situation very intimately. And whether going back to Red Barber all the way through Jack Buck, uh, Pearsall, I mean, some of the older announcers, they all did the same thing. And we're we still see that, not as much in baseball, because I think we kind of get away from it, but, but the grand old announcers, they knew how to do it right, just to paint the picture. And, and sometimes we look at that and go, oh, that's kind of silly. Well, it's absolutely true in baseball. Remember, you're on the radio. They can't see what's going on. And if you have the ability to paint the picture, and really, that is any sport or in our medium in radio, the ability to do that is 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 really unmatched. And the people that do it the best are the people that are the best in our industry. And I think some of the best announcers in our industry are baseball announcers because they can do that. 
And they're some of the toughest jobs in all of the world to get. <laughs> There's only uh, 30 teams and uh, two or three announcers on 30 teams. Uh, do the math. It's, it's highly competitive. It's not just in Major League Baseball. Minor League Baseball is, is really, really um, hard to work your way up. Um, again, it's right place, right time. Uh, what organization you're in and you get that one break and you seize it. And as you know, there's a lot of announcers in Major League Baseball. They haven't been there just for one or two years. They've been there for a long time. That's, that's how precious those jobs are. Gary Sharp is the host of the 10 to 2 time slot on 1620 The Zone in Omaha. I'm John Schrader. He's with us on Watch the Media. As you approach those four hours every day, you, do you produce it as yourself? Do you line up all the guests yourself? Do you, do you take care of all the content yourself and then deliver it? So from the producing standpoint, I have a, uh, a young guy named George Norwood who is absolutely fantastic. Um, he's a no sports. He's very aggressive. He's like myself. Think outside of the box. We got to be creative. Um, I, I come up with the ideas for the guests and give him the contact information. And then he tracks them down. Um, I'm in charge of all the content. And I kind of, in my sports talk career, doing this. The first. This is the second time I've done a solo show. Um, the previous one was uh, Sports Nightly, which is the Husker Sports Network show, which I was one of the original hosts on. Um, but that was only two hours. This one is four hours, but I've done a lot of team shows and I've always sat in the number one chair. Uh, for people that don't know, when you're doing team shows, the number one guy is the host. The number two guy is kind of the reactor, the funny guy, um, where the one guy has to drive the show um, and has to set up, but he also, you know, he kind of has to be the serious guy. So I prefer doing the content, um, tracking down angles to stories. When I look at a story, I think of multiple angles that I can attack it with, um, you know, and what my opinion is going to be, how I'm going to deliver it, um, how we're going to engage the audience um, to take what I think about it and make it compelling for the listener. So I like kind of have, I'm kind of a control freak in that way. I like to have full control of the show because I know if it gets off the rails, my name is on it and I'm in trouble. And I, I do get uncomfortable when the show gets outside of the rails. So I like to have, you know, an idea of what we're doing, where we're going, and then drive it that way. And, and not every show is going to be perfect. We all know that. Um, but I have a pretty good semblance when we flip on the mic at 10, where we're going and where we're going to finish. How can that show get off the rails? What can happen to get it off the rails? There's a couple things. From my standpoint, um, just drifting off, uh, something funny happens. And, you know, the show is about laughs. We want to make people laugh. I want to laugh on the show. It's been tough the last month or so because there's a lot of deep topics like the last 13 weeks. It's been kind of deep. And people tune in and they want to, they don't want to know that you're having a bad day. They're having a bad day. You're there to make them smile, to make them feel good. Um, so sometimes, you know, we get a little silly and topics can get off, off, off track and then it gets kind of wild. Um, the other thing that I think is very important, and I'm lucky enough to have a really good producer in George, is... Phone callers can take you off track and they can take you to a place that the show should not go um, in terms of what they ask. If it's completely different from what you're talking about. And George is really good at that. But I, I think I've learned as we've gotten older in my career is I know that the show is not always going to be perfect. It'll drift off, but you got to bring it back. You can't just let it, let it get sideways. 
Um, now, some of those days are kind of fun because you never know where it's going. Most of those days, though, the listener by then is like, oh, I'm on to the next one. By the way, one of my favorite things in the uh, NBA little 113-page book, uh, you can't play doubles uh, ping pong. Yeah. LeBron playing doubles ping pong. Somebody's snitching on LeBron. Yep. Yeah, I worked with a guy in San Francisco, Bob Agnew, who used to say, as our program director, who used to say, uh, the callers are only there for us to use them. It's the listeners I care about. Don't let the callers hijack the program. It's the listeners I care about. Yeah, we had recently uh, a caller. We were talking. It was a, I think it was a college football segment. And we had a guy call in who was kind of confused. He was listening to another station. And he thought he was listening to 1620. And so he got on the air. Uh, and what he was saying and what we were saying was completely different. And it took probably a good 20 minutes past then to reel in the show and get it back on track. Because everybody was stunned and they were like, I still don't know what was going on. A <laughs> uh, little in, inside radio there. Yes. Uh, what you have to do is, I mean, you do five hour, five days, four hours. And, and if there's anything that you have to do is be consistent, but you also have to be fresh and you have to have lots of energy. What kinds of things do you do to try to bring that energy every day and to keep it fresh every day, even though the audience expects the same kind of stuff out of you every day? Well, I think once you enter the studio, you're in a whole nother world. You are a performer. Um, I also don't take myself real seriously. I, I do see myself as a journalist. I, I think some of the younger people that are in my business don't look at it that way. They look at themselves more as an entertainer. But I see myself as a journalist and an entertainer. So I'm a little bit of an old school sports talk host. But when I walk into the studio, I know that I'm on and I have to entertain for four hours. Because I'm not only putting on the show, John, I'm, I'm a consumer of the show. And if the show is boring, that means I'm boring. So I know that I have to come in, I have to be entertaining. I have to have good pace in the show. It just can't drag. Um, really, four hours to me now that I'm, I'm far enough into it as a solo guy uh, isn't as difficult as I, as I kind of thought it would be back in August. Um, but I, I, I got some great advice, the stuff I've kind of shared. Um, another piece of advice when I was young in my career is people that are listening to you might be having an awful day. They don't want to hear that you're awful. You're always supposed to be the sunshine and they give perspective and to be on point. And that's what they ask of you. They're investing time in you. You should invest time into making sure that you take their mind off their problems because you're doing a sports talk show where sports is fun. Now, not all the stuff is fun. Some of the stuff is deep, especially in the last uh, three plus months. But that's kind of when I, when I walk into that door, I know that for four hours I have to be on. And then when I walk out of the studio at 2.01 in the afternoon, then I can go back to the, the real world problems that maybe were bothering me at 9.59. So when you're in a pandemic and people are at home and they are watching shows, a large majority of this country has been introduced to uh, something that uh, I have known for the last two years and was just amplified in this third year is how great Ozark is which it leads you wanting more. Well, if you have followed it, and we already know, we've alerted all of you that there might be a spoiler or two here, 
Um, the executive producer, one of the lead writers, uh, somebody who has been in it from the start, is one of our own Omaha native, Omaha Westside graduate, uh, Chris Mundy, who joins us now. Chris, thanks for your time. Welcome to the Gary Sharp Show in Omaha. Oh, it's great to be on. Thanks for having me. Hey, so we're going to cut right to this. Chris, what the heck happened at the end of season three? Can you explain that last <laughs> scene? <laughs> well, we want to do it. Like, that whole last episode starts out sort of... Um... So, so getting through the, the pandemic part of it, and we'll talk a little bit about what's happened in the last two or three weeks and more of a deep conversation about uh, race in America and for us, race in, in sports. Um, but what kinds of things did you do? Did you talk about where did you go to get through the pandemic part of this in March and April and May and, and beyond? So it started with how does this affect us personally? Like personally, as, as people that live in Omaha, people that live in Nebraska, and then to how does it affect us in the sports world? How does it affect our psyche? Um, we've always looked at sports as being one of those entities that heals this country. I go back to 9-11. We talked a lot about baseball. Baseball was huge in 9-11 in helping this country. Some of the other things, sports has been the healer. So that's kind of what we, we talked about. But, but honestly, there has been a constant stream of sports. Okay, how do we get it back? Um, what does it look like when we get it back? What does it change when we go to games? Uh, those kind of things that affect the sports fan, we spent a lot of time on that. While also the NFL was moving along like a juggernaut and they were still creating content for us in the sports talk business uh, to use. And so we've been able to fill up those, those segments. And then as we're getting closer to the return of play, more pressing issues have come forth on, okay, what if you get a positive case? How do you handle that? Can I be in the stadium in the fall? Just those things that you and I and every day think about as a sports fan, we're talking about them on air and people are, are, are reacting and giving us feedback on, if, would you go into a, a ballpark right now? Would you go into a stadium with 45,000 other fans? That kind of stuff. So we're making people think about these real issues in the sports world that are going to come up pretty quick when we get to the fall. So as we have this conversation on Zoom, I see MLB Network uh, um, poster um, over your shoulder. As we have this conversation right now, are you confident that there will be some Major League Baseball this summer into the fall? Yes, I do. Today has actually been a better day than maybe Monday when the sport was kind of in a dark place with the commissioner doing a pivot on 100% baseball, and now I'm not so sure. Um, before I... In, in between living in Lincoln and working at KLIN and now in Omaha at 1620 The Zone, NRG Media, uh, I was living in Fort Myers, Florida. And so I was working for the Minnesota Twins. Uh, I was still doing some radio on the side, but my primary, primarily my job was uh, doing spring training with the Twins. And then we had a minor league team there called the Fort Myers Miracle. So I've been around baseball for a long time, um, but I think we will have baseball. I've, I've kind of, on my show, I've taken it through the course of a game from the bottom of the third to the top of the fifth to the bottom of the seventh. I have us, John, in the top of the ninth. Now there is lightning on the horizon and we may get canceled, um, but I still have us in the top of the ninth. We just need Mario and Rivera to come out of the bullpen and save us. And he will because he always did. <laughs> it nearly always did. Gary Sharp is the host of the Gary Sharp Show, uh, 10 to 2. 
uh, middays at uh, 1620 The Zone Radio in Omaha. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. So because of the events that, that occurred in Minneapolis and other events that, that, that have happened since and, and protests and Black Lives Matter conversation, we're now in a deep dive in, in a conversation about race in this country that we haven't had in a long time. Really good, deep conversations, long overdue and important. Um, may I say, you're a white guy, I'm a white guy. Here we're trying to have conversations about these things. How have you approached those conversations on your radio program? Well, first and foremost, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a middle-aged white man who has benefited from, at times in my life, white privilege. Um, I also, when I, my, my previous show on 1620, former Nebraska running back Damon Benning, who is ingrained in the African-American community here in Omaha, and doing shows with him helped me a lot understanding our differences, that the way he feels about certain things is much different than the way I feel about different things. But what Damon helped me to do, and it really, I think, helped me in radio and, and, and to handle these hard discussions we've had over the last three weeks in this country and trying to weave it through a sports talk show is I listened. I think that's the biggest thing that we can do as radio hosts when we approach these topics is listen and understand and have a conversation. And for me not to come on the radio and say, this is the way it is, this is how it's always going to be. Instead saying, hey, this is who I am, this is where I am, let's talk about it. I don't understand why you're uncomfortable. You can understand why I'm uncomfortable, but let's have a discussion. And that's where radio is such a great forum when it gets into topics like this, even on a sports talk show, because we can talk through things. And I'm not always going to agree with your opinion. You're not always going to agree with my opinion. But as long as we understand each other and we can further the conversation, you know, one person after another, that's, that's golden radio. And what I've done in three weeks with this, and, you know, it, it hits home. I mean, we had people in the streets in Omaha. You had people in the streets in Lincoln. So you can't be ignorant and avoid it. It's a topic. It's, it's all of us are experiencing this. So you can't say we're a sports show and we're going to stick to sports. Well, you know what? For three weeks, that mantra is out the window. People are not sticking to sports. If you've not noticed, things are changing. And especially in the sports world and in our world, when it comes to athletes that have a platform and they're speaking about it. So the best thing I did is saying, here's where I'm at. Let's discuss this. How are you feeling? And, and essentially, John, just letting people lay on the couch of radio and talk about their emotions, talk about where they are, that they're scared, they're in the middle of a pandemic, we just hit a tinderbox, and, and there's so much anxiety. And listening to that on radio, one person calls in, the next person feels, you know what, that's kind of me, I heard myself, this is what I'm experiencing. And that's kind of where we went um, during this discussion. And it's gone a bunch of different places, from Drew Brees and his comments about the flag, to the way his teammates said, hey, this is what we believe in. Let me understand why you feel this way. And then to what's happening in college campuses, whether it be Iowa City or Stillwater, Austin, Texas, that there's a platform now to speak and the voices are louder. Let's all understand each other so we can work through this. And, and, I, and I think on my show, it's been, a, it's been good for me personally to let people talk through because I tell you, 
Three weeks later, I know a lot more than I did three weeks prior, and I'm better for it, not only as a sports talk show host, but as a person living in Omaha, Nebraska, that is a middle-aged white guy. Yeah. You know, I felt like this, I felt this way for a long time. And it's what I share with my students here at the, at the University of Nebraska. And that is that I believe that sports is, is almost the perfect place for these conversations, the intersection of race and identity and culture and economics and ethnicity. And there are no better places in my view, not just because I've been in sports for 40 years as a broadcaster and and now I'm a college professor, but, but because it is the best place. Um, and, and I really feel like that. How, how do you feel? Well, you are absolutely right. In your background, you followed a professional football team intimately with the Niners. Mm-hmm. I look at college football and professional football locker rooms as that's our country. And especially in a place like Nebraska. And this is one of the discussions I had with a regular guest. He is played eight-man football in high school. He was in a community where everybody was white. He comes to Nebraska on a football scholarship, and that's really the first time that he has played with a black football player. And now he's in this locker room, and you have players from all over the country, not just Nebraska. They're from the East Coast, the West Coast. They're from the North. They're from the South. They're from all kinds of different economic backgrounds, all different experiences growing up. Some may have grown up with just one parent, while you grew up with two parents. That's why I say in sports, in locker rooms, it is such a great cross-section of this country because conversations that happen in there is what life is all about. And the lessons you learn in a locker room about understanding that you're in it for the greater good of the whole part, it's, it's an amazing thing to experience a locker room in professional sports and then look at our country because our country outside of that locker room it's exactly the same in the locker room. And you see it from the conversations you have and the, and the stories you hear from this guy who went on to play in the NFL, his name's Scott Shanley. What he learned at Nebraska, coming from St. Edward, Nebraska, small white town to Nebraska, has carried him throughout his entire life and he is better for it. Welcome back into the Gary Sharp Show on a Wednesday. Mailbag coming up at uh, noon. But first, we chat with Scott Shanley, who joins us now. Uh, Scott, good Wednesday morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Hey, let's uh, let's go back two weeks. Um, and uh, we, we missed getting a chance to uh, chat uh, last week, and that's perfectly fine. Uh, but two weeks ago, in a, in a place that is special to your heart, um, you have so many great memories there. And you know a lot of the people, especially the quarterback, Drew Brees. Yeah, I, I think what happened with Drew, I think obviously opened up uh, a whole new conversation and opened up a whole lot of eyes that maybe weren't open to the, the standing or the kneeling topic that, that had gone on in the NFL a few years ago and will still be going on this fall. And I think for Drew, I, I know four years ago, Drew, you know, he said he when he sees the flag, he thinks of, of something and he still feels that way and he expressed those feelings again. And I think there's a lot of pressure on him. And, and when he does, when, when this happens with him, you know, people view him more as human. I think, I think he honestly didn't know that, that, you know, players who were taking a knee said it had nothing to do with the flag. They were, what they were protesting had nothing to do with, with the, the flag. So I think even though people expect great things from Drew all the time, 
they just expect him to be perfect, and I think that's what shocked people when Drew made the statement he did. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit now and ask you this. Um, what did you think of Colin Kaepernick in 2016, 2017, and uh, what's your view of him and that um, story today? So in 2016, when he knelt for the flag, uh, I had an understanding of that the flag doesn't stand for the same meaning as everyone. Uh, I had a relative who was in Vietnam. When he came back, there was nobody there for him but he had just put his life on the line for his brothers and sisters that were next to him. And when he came back, the country was not there for him. So his opinion, a little bit different on the flag. I was never in the military. I know what the flag means. So listening to him, I had a better understanding that the flag doesn't mean the same for everyone. But my problem in 2016 was, I thought Colin Kaepernick's message got hijacked because then it became all about the flag. And you didn't know what it was about. You lost, the meaning of what it was about, and he tried to tell you, but it was all about the flag. Now we flash forward four years. It is so different. You have the understanding. Now people are still going to be upset, and it's going to be an interesting fall around here when football comes back because there's going to be protests and there's going to be kneeling. But I don't think the outrage will be the same as it was four years ago because we're at a different part in this country where the understanding is better. And you understand the message, and it's not about the flag. And that's what I, I got concerned about in 16, is that the message got lost. I don't think it's going to get lost in 2020. And I even look at the media, small market, large market, how we're approaching this situation. Hosts that were against it in 16, four years later, everything that's going on in the country, they have an understanding of why Colin Kaepernick took a knee and why so many other athletes, whether they're white or black, or whether they're in a helmet or a headset, this fall are going to take a knee. We have an understanding of that, and we know that the, the audience, and we've seen this turn so quickly, the attitudes in this country turn so quickly. But when Roger Goodell says, I think teams should go out and go after Colin Kaepernick now, and, and where was that courage uh, in 2017, when he knew darn well that the topic had been hijacked, he knew darn well what Colin Kaepernick was about and why he was doing it, and Eric Reed and a number of others. Um, so, of course, he works for 32 owners, yes, but he's the commissioner of, of football. But now he appears to be a little bit of, um, of a hypocrite. And I think that this is difficult for people who have completely changed 180 degrees on this um, and now say in 2020, well, this is what we should do. What role do you envision him playing going forward with the National Football League, be it as a player or in any other way? How, how do you see him factoring in into the future? Well, listen, uh, if he wants to resume his career uh, in the NFL, um, that obviously is going to take a team to make that decision, but I welcome that, uh, support a club making that decision and encourage them to do that. Um, if his efforts are not on the field, but and continuing to work in this space, uh, we welcome to that, to that table and, and to be able to help us and guide us and help us make better decisions about the kinds of things that need to be done in communities. Uh, we have invited him in before and we want to make sure that uh, everybody's welcome at that table and trying to help us deal with some very complex, difficult issues that have been around, unfortunately, for a long time. Uh, but I hope we're at a point now where everybody's committed to making long-term sustainable change.
I think with him, it seems like it's convenient, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Everybody's talking about it. And so I'm going to talk about it. But you can't make up for 2016. This is where I think it's different. Whether it be professional or college athletes, they have this platform and their voice is stronger. And it's more of a collective voice that the brands behind them, whether it be the team you play for, your sponsor, or the university where you're at, they're standing with you now. Four years ago, that wasn't the case. Not everybody was standing behind you. They were running away from you. It's much different now, much, much different. Um, and that's why very curious to see what happens in the fall because it's going to happen, but the reaction of people that, as you have alluded to, four years ago were like, get Kaepernick out of the game. Now we're going to be like, Colin Kaepernick may, may have had a point. Yeah. And maybe he needs a job. You know, maybe he shouldn't have been fired, right? Blackballed, right? And, then, and the NFL can't make up for that. It is what it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I would be kind of put off if Colin Kaepernick was on a roster this fall. If he can play, he's in the league. But if you're just adding to a roster to say, okay, we got Colin Kaepernick, go and be a guy in the community, I think that's, that is a disservice to Colin Kaepernick. I actually think he's more powerful not being in a football uniform, doing what he is right now. And essentially for three weeks since his conversation has come back, he's been silent, but he's been pr- pretty powerful. Yeah. Gary Sharp of 1620 The Zone is with us. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. You um, are in a medium radio that uh, at one point put the tower up there. We call them the sticks. Put it up there. And if you're in your car, you listen to it on AM. Um, If you had some kind of translator, you might listen to it somewhere else. Maybe HD came about 20 years ago or so. Now the delivery of your product um, is much different. How do you approach the job in that respect? Uh, When I first started, your brand was the radio station that you worked for. Uh, That that was kind of, you were attached to that. Now in 2020, your brand is you. It's your personality. Uh, You have to sell yourself. And you have so many different areas to sell yourself, whether it be on social media, on Twitter, on Facebook, um, TikTok. There's all kinds of avenues to sell Gary Sharp. There are avenues to sell the Gary Sharp Show experience, whether it be the podcasting, um, you know, bits and pieces uh, here and there, that it's all about you. Uh, Because people don't, people 20 years ago, the way they consumed you, they were in the car, they were at home, they had the radio, they didn't have an app on their phone. They didn't have a place to go where you got segment number one. You didn't like the topic in segment two, so you jumped to segment three. Um, So those things have changed. The delivery and the availability of our brand has never been stronger, but you have to work at it because people have a lot more choices and they want convenience, but they also want you. They're listening, not all of a sudden out of loyalty because I've listened to this station for a hundred years. They're listening to you as the personality. um, And so you have to sell that and take care of your brand, which I, I could have never, you know, I never forecasted when I got into this business. It was all about, I work for this radio station. This radio station is respected throughout town. Now it's, I do work for the radio station, but I'm Gary Sharp working at the radio station. So what is your brand? Describe to me what the Gary Sharp brand is. Um, upbeat, uh, unique, 
Uh, I got to be unique because sometimes everybody sounds the same. So when you come to me, you're going to get a different kind of a discussion, a different angle on a certain topic. Um, you're going to get, in all, in all honesty, kind of funny here, um, you're going to get somebody that's brutally honest, that I live my life on the radio. Um, the same person you're talking to right now is the same person that is on from 10 to 2, same person that's going to be in the aisle at high V and a, a fan stops me and wants to talk. I'm authentic. I'm not different. So I'm, I'm the same person that you see sitting at the end of the bar that is on your radio from 10 to 2. I just happen to be a huge sports fan that'll sit at the end of the bar and have discussions with you. I just get the opportunity 20 hours a week uh, to talk sports. Um, so those are all kind of part of my brand. And I think also what I've really developed, and this, is, this has taken a lot of fails and success, is that I'm, I can see both sides. I don't need to come in, John, and go, okay, I'm standing for this. This is my opinion. Everybody else get out of the way. When I first got into this business, that was the case. And now I've learned that there are multiple feelings on different topics, and I'm open to hearing both of them. I have a strong opinion, but it's just because you have a different opinion, I'm not going to shout you down. And I try and make my shows, whether they be a solo show or a team show, welcoming, where we kind of put a smile on your face. And if you want to come in and disagree, you feel like you're okay. You're not going to be cut off on the air. You're going to be able to come in and give your point, have a discussion, and we're all friends, you know, playing radio. Okay, so this is the news cycle to return to sports that takes you left and then brings you back right. Uh, so the John Heyman tweet, uh, MLB and Players Union are closing in on agreement to play the 2020 season via players. Deal expected to be prorated pay and include expanded playoffs. Uh, it has now been reported by a couple of national guys, Rob Manfred and Tony Clark, for the owners and the players are meeting in Arizona as we speak. Then you go to the next tweet on your Twitter, uh, Twitter timeline, your Twitter timeline, Teddy Greenstein of the Chicago Tribune, Someone high up in college athletics just told me it's 50-50 at best that college football will be played. And the concept that large crowds come to games is ridiculous. A slimmer schedule, 10 games in 10 weeks could help. All right. All right. We were going left. Now we're back right. How does sports talk radio fit into the bigger picture of radio and the media landscape in Omaha and maybe in the bigger picture in Nebraska? I think in Omaha, uh, Sports Talk Radio is an important place. Uh, it's a very good sports town. But I, I think the radio station that I work at, we're not always about sports. You know, you got to mix in some pop culture. You got to mix in your life. Uh, for three weeks, we've, we've mixed in things that are happening in our community with black and white people and everybody else and what their concerns are and their anxiety. Um, you know, and it has a special place because it's, I think sports talk radio 20 years ago was for the lowest common denominator. You know, that's kind of the approach is, okay, who listens to sports talk radio? I think the listener, whether they be male or female has become more educated. And so that's made us better as hosts that we, we're not talking to the lowest common denominator. We're talking to people that they come to us because they want to learn something new. They don't, you know, they can go and get the stats and they can go all get that. They come to us because they want good, engaging conversation. And that's made us better hosts. And I think in Omaha, that's made us a really good radio town because we have good, 
listeners, smart listeners, they want that. They want good discussion on the radio. They want to be entertained, but they also want to be engaged. And at the end of the day, they also want the host to make them think. And I think all of us in this business, and especially at my radio station, if we're not doing that for our listeners, then we're doing a disservice and we're wasting their time and their time they're spending with us is invaluable. In that respect, Gary, have you done a pretty good job of getting um, female listeners then? You know what? I, I'm pretty proud of this. And, you know, females don't normally listen to sports talk radio. We're all into the 25 to 54 men or 18 to 34 men. And we forget about our female listeners. But we have good female listeners that you better be on your game because they know their game. You know, they do fantasy football. They, they, they follow the Huskers. They love sports. They're not always going to pick up the phone and call because they're kind of afraid. Um, but they're out there listening. And so you can't ignore them. And uh, I know in, in my ratings that I have a pretty good following of uh, females, which I'm pretty proud. I mean, I'm not, the, you know, I got a face made for radio. But I think that's on you as the host to engage the conversation that it's not one-sided and it's not guy talk. I've never been one that likes the guy talk. I think I could do it and I could go there. But for me, I'm just not comfortable. That's not my fun, I, that's not my fun radio. My fun radio is talking about stuff that everybody is talking about that whether you're male or female, you're like, oh, yeah. or you're going to go to work the next day and go, hey, do you hear what Gary said on the air? And you got two ladies that are standing there by their cubicles talking. So you're not a homegrown Husker. Was that something to, uh, for you to get used to when you came here? Um, when I'm living in Des Moines, so the local newspaper would cover Nebraska football because Nebraska football was so big when I was growing up. So I followed Nebraska football. I never knew what it was like until I moved to Lincoln. Um, and I quickly became a Husker fan. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those balances in radio, especially in this state. A lot of us are Husker fans, but you also have to be objective talking about it. Um, but I, I never, never in my wildest dreams, uh, knew what Nebraska football was like until I got my first taste of it. And, you know, it's one of those things that I have moved away. It makes you appreciate even more when you don't live in the Lincoln Omaha area, and then you come back and cover it. It's not, all, it's not all fun with it. I mean, it can wear you out, uh, especially over the last few years where they haven't had a lot of great success. But I'm not going to lie. It's 70% of our shows, and it's a huge part of our revenue at our radio station is Husker football. I mean, it allows us in all places. You're familiar with larger markets. We're the 74th largest market in the country. I work at a radio station that has no professional sports in our town. We have major colleges. We do 6A to 6P. We do 12 hours of sports talk, local sports talk, five days a week in the 74th largest market. Big reason why, Nebraska football. So if what we hope for in life, and I think you've found it, is, is what gets you out of bed in the morning and what gets you out of the house in the morning, what is it that gets you out of bed, that gets you out of the house in the morning and go to work? Um, a job. Well, if not, I would still be in bed and I probably wouldn't be dressed or showered. Um, I think one <laughs> previous question about radio is I love the medium because never, no day is ever the same. I've never worked a normal nine to five job. And I might be on the air 10 to 2, but people that are in our business know you're always doing your show, whether you're with friends, whether you're out in public, you're always prepping for your show. You're thinking of ideas and angles and, and bits. So you're always working on your show. And that's what I love about radio is it's so unpredictable. I came in today to do my show and 
I had a general idea of what we're going to talk about, and then we shifted to something else that was going on with discussion about Major League Baseball uh, possibly coming back. It's just, it's, it's fun. I, I've always said this, and, and this will be true. So if one day I disappear from radio, it'll be because I, I was no longer having fun. And for almost 30 years now, I've had fun doing radio. And if you're not having fun doing radio, don't do it. Because the people that are listening to you, that you will never, ever meet, some of them you will, but some that you'll never, ever meet, they listen to you for a reason. And I feel it as a duty. I know that my coworkers feel it as well, to make those people entertained and engaged. And if I can continue to do that, that's why I get out of bed in the morning. When I'm no longer having fun, I'm not getting out of bed, and I'm on to something else entirely different. And I don't know what I would do because radio has been my whole life. I was just going to ask you the question, and that is, if you imagine doing anything else in your life, what would it be? Um, that's a hard question, because I haven't done anything else, and I've never really wanted to do anything else. Uh, when I was working in baseball, I still had the radio bug, and so I was able to feed it a little bit, um, but I would be in sports in some manner, like running a professional team as a general manager uh, or as an athletic director. But then I was doing that, I would still want like a radio show. Like I would like the general manager show, I'd like the athletic director radio show, that kind of stuff. Um, so I'm, I'm different. I've always wanted to be in radio. I've been lucky enough to get my foot in the door in radio and uh, <laughs> been able to hang around long enough in a business which doesn't always reward you for your loyalty. Well, Gary, thank you very much for your time. I've enjoyed the conversation very much. Well, I appreciate it, John, and uh, I hope this is informative for people and they see that I do have a face for radio. Uh, <laughs> you know, you, you've been in it a long time and now you're teaching it. And it's a, it's a, it's a fascinating um, medium to be in. There are so many different things that go on in the radio business. And who knows in five years where we'll be? Because five years ago, I never thought we would be at this point of how you could consume content and how you delivered content. And I can't wait. And I hope I'm around for five more years and maybe even 30 more. Well, we hope so, too. Thanks again, Gary. Thanks, John. Gary Sharp is the host of The Gary Sharp Show, uh, 10 to 2, Monday through Friday on 1620 The Zone in Omaha. I'm John Schrader, and this is Watch the Media. All right. Good show, everybody. Um, Man, the news cycle is crazy this week. Uh, tomorrow is local music. Thursday, uh, we will talk some Kansas City Royal baseball. Alex Lewis, who covers the Royals for the Athletic, does a great job. The Royals are one of those teams that are making a statement while baseball is not being played on the field, led by Dayton Moore. Uh, we'll get into that tomorrow, among uh, other things, when you uh, rejoin us at 10. For George, I'm Gary. Sportsman Like Conduct's coming up next.